Hello. Welcome to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Sademan. My goal is for us to discover jazz old and new together by listening to a wide array of selections and exploring different jazz styles and topics related to jazz. We'll learn more about what it is, what it isn't, how it's developed, and what we can listen for to enhance our experience. This program is on Trent Radio, 92.7 on your dial, and Peterborough Independent Podcasters. For the next 60 minutes, Discovering Jazz. Taking a few programs to spotlight a jazz genre that fascinates me, thanks to a trip that I made in 2016 to the Havana Jazz Festival. I'm talking about Cuban jazz, or more accurately, Afro-Cuban jazz. Let's start with a modern example. Give a listen to this track and revel in the excitement of the different tempos and rhythms going on at the same time, and the richness of the harmonies that keep that simple melodic pattern so interesting. Then I'm going to explore how this amazing music came to be. It's a resource that has been used by musicians and composers all over the world, so much so that if Cuba collected money for all the times that its inventive music was adapted by others, this little island would be one of the richest countries in the world, I'm sure. Not the struggling and economically isolated nation it is today. From an album released in 2018 by Havana pianist and composer Harold Lopez Nusa. I've been playing it a lot lately. This is track one, Cimarron.
Harold Lopez Nusa from Havana, Cuba, where he still resides. Playing with him is uh, Gaston Oya on bass and Roy Adrian Lopez Nusa, drums and percussion. Today, looking at how this very interesting genre of jazz came into existence, the history of Cuban jazz. Cuban music in general has had an incredible influence on North American music. The primary rhythm of rock and roll, that three-note dum, 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 dum rhythm, that came from the tracillo, which was a shortened form of the Cuban habanera. And of course, that had African origins. There was always a lot of back and forth movement between New Orleans and Havana. But what we think of today as Cuban jazz probably originated in New York. Maybe the roots were sown in 1926 when clarinetist Mario Bozza, at age 15, was taken to New York as a part of Antonio Maria Romo's charanga group and saw the Paul Whiteman Orchestra playing Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue at the Paramount Theater. Or maybe it was a year prior when Vicente Sigler became the first Cuban band leader to organize a band in New York. Or in 1927, when Cuban flautist Alberto Sacares moved to New York to play in Sigler's orchestra and recorded the first flute solo in jazz with Clarence Williams' band. And I'm going to play that song, Shooting the Pistol. You listen to this, and compared to today's jazz, you probably won't find it particularly interesting. But pay attention to that flute solo by Alberto Sucaris. Not only is it the first flute solo ever recorded in a jazz record in the late 1920s, but compared to the rest of the piece, that solo is so much more rhythmically complex, reflecting already some of that Afro-Cuban rhythmic sense. Shooting the Pistol, Clarence Williams Band.
Okay, I know it's not very Cuban, but it was a Cuban musician, Alberto Socares, who recorded that first known flute solo in jazz. Socares later became known as a Cuban band leader and flautist. So I'm going to play something much more Cuban now, a Cuban bolero, which in itself wasn't a jazz form. But this recording marked a new era for Cuban bolero because the chord structure included ninths, major sevenths, and sixths, which came from the French Impressionism that had filtered into American jazz. Here is a version of this song. Aquellos ojos verdes, or green eyes, where the composer... Nilo Menendez. It was first recorded in 1929. Chaos, Ojos, or Green Eyes, the first Cuban bolero to become an an international hit, part of the roots of Afro-Cuban jazz. When we talk about that unique beast known as Afro-Cuban jazz and its origins, it was the coming together of Chano Pozo and Dizzy Gillespie in 1947, and the huge hit Manteca that is always referred to as its beginning, and I will get to that. Let's not get too far ahead. There's another well-known Cuban tune that's an essential beginning to Cuban jazz, and Ned Sublet, in his book, Cuba and Its Music, devotes a whole whole chapter to it. It's called El Manicero, or The Peanut Vendor. The Don Aspiazzo Orchestra version, recorded in New York in 1930, was the most famous, with a dark-skinned mulatto named Antonio Machin singing it. It propelled both that song and the singer into legendary status. Here it is, a peanut vendor's call, El Manicero. Divertir, 
rico y rico está, ya no se puede pedir más. Ay, caserita, no me dejes ir, porque después te vas a arrepentir y va a ser muy tarde ya. Now, this song was originally written for another legendary Cuban singer, Rita Montaner, who first recorded it in 1928. I've been reading about this Cuban diva and some of her stage and offstage antics that made her so hard to get along with, but still allowed her stardom to prevail for so many years. I'm going to play just a little bit of Rita Montaner doing El Manicero, and then I'm going to lead into a version by Cuban-Canadian pianist, Elario Duran.
the great Cuban pianist Elario Duran, now living in Toronto. Uh, he was here, actually, in Lakefield a couple years ago for the Lakefield Jazz Festival, playing with Jane Bennett, who, by the way, is going to be coming to Peterborough April 28th. I'll tell you more about that afterwards. But back to El Manatero, also known as the Peanut Vendor. Uh, other jazz artists who have recorded it have included Stan Kenton, Louis Armstrong, Choo Choo Valdez, and even Django Reinhardt. Since I'm on a roll, I might as well play another version. But which one? Hmm. Okay, let's see what Django Reinhardt and Stefan Grappelli do with it. Afro-Cuban meets Gypsy Jazz from 1949.
Well, such fascinating guitar work by Django Reinhardt. And Stefan Grappelli's violin does some interesting stuff there, too. That's Django Reinhardt and the Hot Club of Paris, their 1949 version of El Manicero. All right. Back to the history of Cuban jazz, but not yet ready for anything that we would classify as full-fledged jazz, at least in terms of what we think of being jazz today. Um, Let's talk about the king of U.S. Latin band leaders in the 1930s. Xavier Cugat moved with his family from Spain to Havana, Cuba in 1904, then to New York in 1915. He had a job selling fake antiques in Los Angeles, then relocated back to New York in 1932 and set up his legendary band playing at the Waldorf Hotel. One might say that he went from fake antiques to fake Latin music because he was a showman who made no bones about Americanizing what he played. And uh, despite his predilection for schlock, his orchestra was a first-class ensemble. Many important Latin musicians passed through the band. He used a marimba, which was never a part of any kind of Cuban popular music. You're hearing in the background his version of Begin the Begin with Don Reed on vocal from 1935. Let's hear some more. Okay, I think that's enough of Xavier Cougat, don't you? Since this program is called Discovering Jazz, I guess I better play some jazz. Now, Cougat, who did grow up in Havana, certainly had Cuban credentials, and he employed a lot of jazz musicians, but I don't think many would call this jazz. Now, according to Ned Sublett, the music historian who wrote a wonderful book called Cuba and Its Music, which I've read and plan to read again, the first piece that we can unequivocally call Afro-Cuban jazz is trumpeter Mario Bozza's tune called Tanga. Why is this considered Afro-Cuban? Well, it was the first piece to blend jazz with clave. Clave? What is that, you ask? Well, it's this rhythm. Or you could have a reverse clave, which goes like this. The best-known recording of Tanga is from 1943 out of New York, performed by Machito's Afro-Cubans with composer Mario Bozza on trumpet. Tanga, Buroboya!
I'll talk more about Machito and his orchestra, but let's take some time to reflect on the composer and trumpet player Mario Bozza, because he was such an important figure in the development of Afro-Cuban jazz. First of all, remember that New York was the center of Cuban jazz, not Havana. And secondly, Dizzy Gillespie was considered to be the most famous non-Cuban exponent of that genre, contributing to it becoming such an American style of music. And Dizzy Gillespie's earliest influence was none other than... You guessed it, Mario Bozza. Bozza had played in top bands in Havana, but he was a clarinetist and saxophonist. He was tired of being the negrito in the band, as most bands that play jazz for tourists were all white. So he moved to New York, and the legend is that he, at age 18, learned trumpet in 15 days in order to play for Antonio Machin's band, who had just lost a trumpeter. Matchen, if you remember, was a singer who sang El Manichero, or The Peanut Vendor, with Don Aspiazzo's band, creating such an international hit. Thanks to playing in Matchen's band, Mario, Mario Bazza became an established New York jazz trumpeter, and he played in many a Latin band for a few years. Latin band was a better descriptor than Cuban band even though it was Cuban music, because many of the players were from other Latin American countries, especially Puerto Rico, and they all welcomed each other. There was competition, it's true, such as the 
band wars between Cuban band leader Alberto Sucaras and Puerto Rican leader Augusto Cohen. But ironically, most of the musicians in Sucaras's Cuban band were Puerto Rican and Dominican. And Cohen, the Puerto Rican band leader, employed mostly Cuban and Panamanian musicians. So it was all in reality a, a Latin American melting pot. In 1933, Mario Botza became part of a band led by Chick Webb, a hunchback drummer from Baltimore who was under five feet tall. This was the band who shortly after recruited a singer named Ella Fitzgerald to front the band. And Mario Botza tells a story about first hearing her, telling Chick Webb about her, and then when Webb was hesitant about using her, convinced him to try her out for a concert where it turned out that the audience loved her. There may not be anything very Cuban about this, but Mario Botza was an important piece of the band. Chick Webb with Ella Fitzgerald from about 1937 with Mario Botza on trumpet, Wake Up and Live. Wake up and live, don't mind the rainy patter, and you will find it's mind over matter. Our clouds will break up if you will wake up and live. ba do da do ya do ya do ya ya Wake up and live, show the stuff you made of, just follow through. What are you afraid of? You'll try it, won't you? Why don't you wake up and live? Ba do da do day, ba do da do day. Come out of your shell. Hey, fella, find your place in the sun. Come out of your shell. Say, fella, just be a go-getting son of a gun. Wake up and live, if lady luck is yawning, up on your toes. A better day is dawning, don't let up, get up and give. Give yourself a shake up just to wake up and live. Cuban trumpet player Mario Bauza, that's spelled B-A-U-Z-A, by the way, had recruited his brother-in-law, Macho, to move from Havana to New York. Macho changed his name to Machito, and that's the band you heard in that version of Tanga that I played earlier, the first piece that can truly be called Afro-Cuban jazz. Machito and his Afro-Cubans were a new kind of band. It wasn't at first considered jazz. It was Latin, but... 
According to Ned Sublett, uh, writer of this book from which I'm getting much of this information, it was as good as the very best black American big bands. Now, the big bands of the 1930s were either all black or all white. The white bands included the Dorseys, Benny Goodman, Glenn Miller, but the black bands, such as the Chick Webb Band, then later Machito's Afro-Cubans, were better, even if the latter wasn't considered jazz. Sublet states that Machito's band had hipper horn playing than you could get in Havana, pronouncing the music, as Chip Webb said to Mario Bazza, like jazz, but with hipper percussion than Americans knew how to play. Unquote. One of his earliest recordings was by a Cuban percussionist named Chano Pozo, who you'll hear about more in a moment. It was called Nawe. Yes, an early combination of Cuban rhythms and jazz harmonies. Vocalist and percussionist Machito and his Afro-Cubans. It was the first recording of all three percussion instruments, congas, bongo, and timbales, playing as a section. The writer of that song, Chano Pozo, later entered jazz history thanks to the song that introduced Afro-Cuban jazz to the world in 1948. 
When you ask most jazz musicians today about the first popular Afro-Cuban tune, this is the one they mention. That, or the next one I'll play. Here is Manteca by the Dizzy Gillespie Orchestra with Chano Pozo. Manteca. As for that next one that some people think about when you say the word Afro-Cuban, I'm talking about A Night in Tunisia. Dizzy Gillespie and Mario Botza imagined a certain type of music back in 1938, and Dizzy claimed that when he wrote Night in Tunisia, which has now become a jazz standard in the early 1940s, it was the first tune with a kind of bass ostinatos the Cubans were playing. Oh, though it does not have a Cuban clave rhythm, trumpeter Mario Bazza stated, Before 1940, jazz was very regular in its rhythms, but after Dizzy Gillespie and I got a hold of it, 
people could use all sorts of rhythms and ideas. I had always wanted to mix Afro-Cuban music with jazz, and we finally got a chance to do it. Let's give a listen to Night in Tunisia from 1942, Dizzy Gillespie. Dizzy Gillespie, a recording from the early to mid-1940s, and it included Cuban conga and bongo player Chano Pozo. So let's finish today's program on Afro-Cuban jazz by talking about Chano Pozo and Dizzy Gillespie. Gillespie had to teach Chano to play in the American-style swing rhythm. And as for Pozo's own compositions, well, Mario Boza claimed that Dizzy's guys couldn't play with Chano at first because the rhythms were too complicated for them. They would get lost, so Chano had to educate them. They used what he taught them in their playing and taught others. 
Dizzy and his band had to learn to find Channel Pozo's beat by listening not for the one, but for the four, which is the Conguero strong beat. Unfortunately, Channel Pozo met his end early in life in New York. He bought some reefers from a Cuban known as El Cabito, or the Corporal, and turned his buddies onto this herb, and they discovered it was bogus oregano or something, and they made fun of Chano. Chano was furious, went to El Cabito, and when he was told, sorry, no refund, Chano Pozo slapped him. The next afternoon, December 2nd, 1948, Chano was in the El Rio bar. He had just finished putting some money in a jukebox to hear Manteca when El Cabito walked in, pulled out a pistol, and avenged his humiliation by blowing Chano Pozo away, emptying seven bullets into him in front of numerous witnesses. I've already played two Chano Pozo compositions that included Chano and Bongo and Conga, including his huge hit Manteca. I'm going to conclude today's program with another one, uh, a tune called Tin Tin Deo, and I'm going to play two versions of it. Firstly, yeah. One from 1964, played by the great Canadian pianist Oscar Peterson, with Ray Brown on bass and Ed Thigpen on drums. Listen to the technique and the energy in this one. Great, but it's not Cuban. But it's performed in a bluesy swing style. Oscar Peterson trio with Tin Tin Dale.
Just before I finish today's program, I want to let you know that for International Jazz Day, uh, a group of us are bringing in a wonderful group of five Cuban women with Toronto's flautist and soprano saxophonist Jane Bennett. They've won a Juno for Best Jazz Group, and they go by the name of Makeke. Next week, most of the program will be dedicated to their music. Then I'll have another program featuring a variety of Cuban and Afro-Cuban jazz. A little bit different from what you usually hear on Discovering Jazz. This is on Trent Radio and Peterborough Podcasters. My name's Larry Sademan. And to end this edition, here is the original 1948 version of Tin Tin Deo by James Moody and his bop men with Chano Pozo himself on bongos and vocals. Bye for now. Tune in next week. Que minera que yo te canto esta rumba mía. Oye minera que yo te canto esta rumba mía. Esta es la rumba. Oh tintindeo. Esta es la rumba, oh tintineo, oh lo tintineo, oh lo tintineo, oh tintineo, oh tintineo, oh tintineo, Tin, tin.